Welcome back, everyone, to another Takes by the Lake here at Cleveland.com. I'm your host, Doug Maurice, and we're doing more Browns today. Big picture stuff on Takes by the Lake this week. We know we're in the heart of the preseason. We know the season is right around the corner. We want to look a little bit at roster construction and what kind of shape the Browns are in overall. We have a guest named Zach Moore who has examined the ways that good teams use the salary cap, and he and I talked for about half an hour about how the Browns are using it um, and, and the best way that good teams go about building a roster. Um, right now, if you had to think about it, if you start looking down the Browns roster, you see a variety of positions that probably make you feel pretty good. Pretty okay, at the very least. They've got three starting linebackers and, and, and four guys there you can rely on, so there's a little depth and plus like an interesting young guy in Avery and, and, and some different people at linebacker that make you feel okay. They've added depth in the secondary. Denzel Ward at one starting corner, uh, Terrence Mitchell at the other, a couple other options there with Gaines and Carey and Brienne Body Calhoun moving around and Randall and Peppers and Kindred at safety. They have options in the secondary. Defensive end, Miles Garrett, Emmanuel Ogba, feel pretty good. Tackle, defensive tackle. If you think Larry Ogunjobi is going to come along, you maybe can feel okay about one spot. They have some injuries. Jamie Meter's in there, a couple other guys who are, who are working through things. Issues at defensive tackle. I think you could find one defensive tackle spot at least, maybe you have some concerns about. Offensively, if Josh Gordon comes back, it's hard to count on him. But with Jarvis Landry, um, you feel good about one spot. I think if there's no Josh Gordon, um, you could have hope about Rashard Higgins and Antonio Callaway, but maybe some questions there. So maybe a receiver spot without Gordon. I think offensive line, if Kevin Zeitler's healthy at right guard, you're okay. He's not healthy right now. Um, but Chris Hubbard, right tackle, Zeitler, J.C. Treader at center, I think you're all right. Joel Petonio, where he's playing, I think you're pretty good, whether that's left tackle or left guard. You'd like to get a left tackle answer there and keep Petonio at guard. If he plays tackle, can you rely on Austin Corbett, the rookie? I think there's one offensive line spot you're maybe concerned about. Quarterback you feel good about, I think. Running back you feel good about. Tight end you feel good about. So really... When you're going through the roster, you'd like it. You'd like something more defensive tackle. You'd like to get this last offensive line spot, left tackle or left guard, figured out and settled. And if Josh Gordon's there, maybe you have a question at receiver. But this is not a team chock full of gaping holes. Yes, I think there are still depth issues. I think there are fewer substantially fewer depth issues than last year when, for instance, injuries to Emmanuel Ogba and Miles Garrett and Jamie Collins at different times um, really hurt you, really hurt you. And you saw that when this defense wasn't healthy, it wasn't as good as it could be. Um, we saw the quarterback issues. There are fewer issues, but here's what we wanted to talk about with Zach. Looking forward a little bit, you look at where they have guys, where they're spending money, where the Browns have value right now. They have the most cap space in the NFL, about $52, $53 million. That's going to allow them to re-sign some of these young guys, maybe to make a move for a big-name guy to fill a big-name need, a big-time need, right? Like, 
you can look at what's here, what they still have. You know they need to add, but they have an ability to add that's still out there. So that's what we talked about with Zach. I don't think this is a playoff year. I think the wild card talk that you hear here and there is a dark horse wild card team I think is counterproductive. I expect a competitive season, an interesting season, an exciting season on some Sundays for the Browns. Probably I'm going to end up somewhere between five and seven wins when I do my season predictions, and we'll do that at cleveland.com. I think there's hope. I think there's reason to be encouraged. And I wanted to take another step back before we dig in and get to the season and get to the nitty-gritty and get to 16 Sundays and figure out what Hugh Jackson's doing and what Todd Haley and Greg Williams are doing and how they're using these guys. I wanted to take one more step back and look at where this franchise is. And it's not about how they got there. It's just that they're there. Okay, this is for Browns fans. This is where your team is. And I think if you like some of the young talent, sure, you should be apprehensive on some some level, but I think you should be encouraged. I think if you like the young talent, I think there's also reason to like just the way they are set up. So we're going to get to our guest, Zach Moore. Real quick, the second episode of Cleveland Sports Tonight is out. That is... Our late night talk show about Cleveland sports. I'm the host. It's the best we could do. Our guests in the second episode, Tyvis Powell, the Ohio State, former Ohio State safety from Bedford, local guy, briefly with the Browns last year, now in, in preseason with the San Francisco 49ers. Always funny, always interesting, telling stories about Richard Sherman. Telling, telling us what it was like to get signed by the Browns, then cut by the Browns. Um, life in the NFL, he's our lead guest. Then we have Logan Broadbent, who's another guy, area guy from Northeast Ohio. He's a U.S. champion boomeranger. Interesting, fun. We went out and threw a boomerang around. We have a monologue. We have a band. It's a talk show. You can find it on our Cleveland.com YouTube channel. Or if you just want to Google... Cleveland Sports Tonight, Hugh Jackson, Tyvis Powell, Logan Broadbent. Throw in some of those words, you'll find it. I'd appreciate you guys checking it out. It's crazy, right? What are we doing doing a televised sports talk show like we're trying to be Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon or Stephen Colbert or Ellen DeGeneres or Johnny Carson or David Letterman? What are we doing? I don't know. We're trying something new. Okay, so it's a sports talk show. Check it out. See what you think. I appreciate you guys um, listening to the podcast. This is another something we're trying. So make sure you're subscribed to all our Cleveland.com podcasts on the Browns, the Indians, the Cavs, Ohio State. We bring you Takes by the Lake, this podcast, every Friday. We'll continue to do that, and I think it's a fun one this week. Again, I'm Doug Maurice. Read my stuff at Cleveland.com. But for now... Enjoy this big-picture look at your Cleveland Browns. Happy to be joined on Takes by the Lake by Zach Moore, the author of Caponomics, Building Super Bowl Champions. And building Super Bowl champions. What a wonderful phrase for Cleveland sports fans to hear, Zach. So you have the magic formula, and you're going to tell Browns fans how to do it. So thanks for joining me. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for having me, and thanks for that lead-in. So listen, I, we, we, I want to start big picture 
before we, we dig in on the Browns. So in researching and writing this book, Zach, what are the common threads? What are the common denominators? Are there common denominators to great teams and how they manage the cap? Or are there like a million different ways you can successfully build a roster? You just have to be smart. You know what I mean? Like, is it just a general competence or are there actual certain strategies that 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 you find in many good teams in regards to the cap? Well, there's two main um, sort of main focuses of how a team builds their roster, and and it's all you can all kind of bring it to the quarterback position. There's the first model, which a lot of teams use, which is spend a lot of money on your quarterback, and then there's also the low cost quarterback route. And there's there's different phases an organization's in, and different decisions they'll have to make along the way. But just a- along the main principle of of building a roster is that you've got to build it through the draft and you've got to build it through. Um, and a lot of these great teams like the Patriots over the years, it's not necessarily the big free agent signing that puts them over the hump. It's building this great roster and then fill it, plugging some holes with sort of mid tier free agents. And, okay. and along these lines, uh, the Browns have actually done a really solid job over the last few years, which is why, um, you know, when while they've gone one in thirty-five, uh, one in thirty-one over the last two years, I've never really been one to be sort of uh, turned off by that because I sort of knew the process they were going through. They've been stockpiling draft picks the last few years, which has been a really um, interesting development to watch with them because what they've done is since Sashi Brown took over, um, they had thirty-three draft picks since two thousand sixteen. Um, at one point, I believe it was in 2017, they had like over 40 players on rookie contracts. So th- what the Browns have done over the last few years has they built out their entire roster with low-cost players. And this year and into next year in 2020, over the last few years of the CBA, they've actually compiled a, 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 a sort of almost an excess of uh, cap space because of this strategy of, of building out this roster through the draft. And what this has allowed them to do now is they've started to make some of their, their, their first moves towards being competitive, trading for Tyrod Taylor and taking on a $16 million cap hit, trading for Jarvis Landry and taking on a, and giving him a, a big contract. The reason and, and from this point is that the salary cap almost doesn't, doesn't have the same effect on the Browns that it, that it does on other teams right now because the Browns have cap rollover has them between 235 and 240 million dollars in terms of the the cap for this year with the, with the rollover and they still have i believe it's 60 million dollars worth of cap space even after all the money they spent this offseason um and then in 2019 there's 22.2 million in cap space before the cap rollover they could have and in 2020 there's 40 million so, so what's what's happened because of this is They've now opened themselves up to flexibility to do whatever they want moving forward. Say that you know, I don't think it'll be true, but say that Baker Mayfield were to were to not um, work out, they had they had the cap space to do whatever they want, and they've tr- sort of generated this flexibility by not overextending themselves when they weren't going to be good. So, so to the to the main point, the the question you asked was, it's it's built through the draft, it's built through flexibility, it's built through. Uh, creating versatility on offense and defense, and it's, which is something the Browns have now done, um, especially on the offensive side of the ball, created a lot of versatility because of 
the way they've decided to construct their roster and, and the principles they've adhered to. Um, and and, and it, it, it should make for an exciting 2018 and moving forward. So listen, I, I think I, I don't want people to get scared off. Sometimes people on this show, I think they hear the S word and some people want to turn off the show because they know that I'm a Sashi guy, right? This is not a Sashi Brown podcast. The point is not about it's not about who, okay? It's about the team and where they are. The reason that Zach is here is just to explain however they got here, where the Browns are, and what they might be able to do going forward. So what you're hearing from Zach, people who don't want to hear Sashi Brown's name, is that they have multiple young players that people are as ex- are excited about. They have some solid veterans like Jarvis Landry and, Ty- and Tyrod Jarvis Landry and Tyrod Taylor, like you mentioned, Zach, that they brought in, and and they have more things they can do. Right, this flexibility you're talking about, and let's just charge into the Browns now. What are the kinds of things they can do down the road? When you look and see, and you're throwing out some cap words that I don't really understand, and that's why I want an expert like you, but. But they have the most cap space in the league right now, right? That's that's the thing. Like for this, they have more cap space than anybody else. You're talking about this flexibility. What does that tell you that they can and should do next off season? Let's say, is this more going to be about re-signing and keeping their young players as they finish off rookie contracts and that kind of thing, or is this positioning themselves where? If there's a big name free agent or a guy in a contract dispute like Khalil Mack is right now, right. like that you can make a big move to make a to have a big addition because maybe you have more space and flexibility than most teams. Yeah, and and um, what, what another interesting thing that that, that uh, I, I noted last night was they've got a number one overall pick at quarterback, defensive end. They have a number four overall pick at cornerback. They got Jarvis Landry at receiver. And when you're looking at building a roster, a lot of teams are looking at those big five expensive, sort of what I would call pass game positions, which are quarterback, defensive end, cornerback, wide receiver, and left tackle. Okay. Um, so they've they've got such value potentially in Garrett, Mayfield, Ward that now they're also saving value at expensive positions, which is going to open the door further on top of the cap space they have to make maybe a big free agent move if they want to. Um, If there's a, say, Aaron Donald somehow hits the market. Um, You know, it's kind of, as a Browns fan, you kind of look look at what position are we potentially going to need help at going into 2019, 2020. And the thing about all this cap space is that when you look at Jimmy Garoppolo's contract, the 49ers were able to do a similar thing to what I'm about to suggest is that there's so much cap space that they, they're going to be able to front load a contract in a way that no other team is going to be able to. And it's not going to affect them the same way it would another team. Cause Jimmy Garoppolo, I think is making something like $42 million this year in cash so that's including a signing bonus and including his first year. Uh, he has like a cap hit of thirty-seven million because it just it almost doesn't matter because the, the 49ers as as well. I mean, it, of course it matters, but 
the 49ers as well have spent a few years not spending money on veterans. And, th- and this is similar to what the Astros did in baseball was rather than spend money when they were going through this period where they were going to be in last place, they saved the money and now they've used it when they were going to be good and when they had an opportunity to move forward and an opportunity to win a championship. And it, I, I, and in different sport, but same thing. The, the Browns are going to do the same thing. And, and to those if you're looking at players on the roster as well, um, EJ Gaines will be a free agent, Michael Kendricks, Josh Gordon, and Brian Body Calhoun. So there, there's four guys. And even if you want to re-sign Tyrod Taylor, if you know, say Mayfield didn't work out, which I don't think he, that that I, I think he will work out. Um, they've got the cap space to really do whatever they want. You didn't know this, Zach, and and I will admit sometimes there is a theme to this weekly podcast. Two weeks ago, I had on Ben Ryder, who just wrote the book about the Astros, Astro Ball, and we talked all about what the Browns can learn from the Astros and how the Astros are a team that can show the way of how something like this can work. And of course it's different. Of course the sports are different, and that was pointed out to me by a lot of people. But it's just about an idea and a strategy, and it doesn't guarantee anything, right? You still need to get the right players. We know that. But it's just about setting your up, setting yourself up for the opportunity, right? That if you do this, there, there is a model that it can work. One, one thing that I want to bring up, Zach, and, and, and you've been making good points about this, and I want to just hammer this home to people. I know there are a lot of people who wanted Jimmy Garoppolo. There were people who... We're tired of them not having a quarterback, and I get that. I always said in this rebuild, they're going to draft a quarterback high at some point. They're not going to go through these terrible years and then say, I forgot to draft a quarterback. So John Dorsey did it this year. They had the number one pick. No matter who the GM of this team was, when they got the number one pick after taking Miles Garrett last year, they were going to take a quarterback. Dorsey chose Baker Mayfield. We don't know who someone else would have chosen, but they took their guy. How big of a deal is it? And this is why I wasn't that freaked out when they missed on the opportunity to get Garoppolo. Or some people wanted him to get Kirk Cousins or make a move like that. It's such a big deal, right? That if you can build a team around a young, cheap quarterback on his rookie deal for four or five years, isn't that a game changer? Isn't that a window that 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 a, a team really should try to capitalize on. It, it's a massive opportunity if you if you pick the right guy. I mean, that's what the Eagles are, are in right now, and it's kind of a model that was started by the 2013 Seahawks, where we saw Russell Wilson win a championship at uh, about a half a percent of the salary cap. When you're saving that much money at the quarterback position, so uh, the quarterback group for that that team cost about four and a half percent of the cap because um matt flynn right. had dead money so he was like he, i think he had about 3.25 percent of the cap and dead money that year so what ended up happening was they ended up building out their defense they and they spent a lot of money on their defensive line that defense was very young but that, on the back end they had a lot of rookie contract players on the back end in the, in the defensive backfield but their defensive line was filled up with a couple free agents like Chris Clemens. Uh, Michael Bennett was expensive at that time. Uh, I believe Cliff Averill had a, had a decent chunk cap hit. Um, but then the, the Eagles did the same thing. And, and they, they built out the defensive line 
They had seven players last year with over 20 pressures. They created pressure on about 40% of snaps. And with this strategy, you're able to, and especially with a guy like Garrett already there, and we'll see what happens with Carl Nassib. And I think Agba is going to be a, a really good player for you guys. Um, but then, speaking to that cap space, you can continue to build out that defensive line when you have a quarterback who's going to make between 3 and 4.5% of the salary cap. So over this time period now, and really the main principle here is that you have a rookie contract quarterback, he's going to have his uh, his ups and downs, and, and part of this low cost is that you're allowed, to, now you can surround him with talent on offense that elevates his play. You can get him a Jarvis Landry, and I love what they've done on offense. I love Njoku. I, I love Duke Johnson because now you've got a tight end who, who's, a, who's a safety valve, uh, a pass catching running back. These are these are high percentage throws. These are guys that uh, you can rely on to move the chains. Landry's also a, a, a guy who has a seventy percent catch rate type of type of guy. He's a bit of a possession guy. He he can beat you deep. He can run every route, but he's also gonna gonna move the chains for you, which is really the most important thing in the game of football. And one of the main objectives is uh, the, the whole point of the game is you got to move the you have to. Be able to move the chains, and then once you're in the red zone, you have to score when you're in the red zone. So you kind of uh, Belichick's done a really solid job of just from a principled perspective building out his offensive roster in that manner. That, that's what all these short uh, slot receivers are about. It's about moving the chains down the field, and 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 then you have a big tight end, and he's always had a big tight end. They've all haven't always been the greatest pass catcher like Rob Gronkowski. But, uh, he, he, you know, even back in the early 2000s, I think one year Christian Foria had like seven touchdowns for them as a tight end. So it, it, you're trying to build this offense that's going to move down the field and not settle for field goals. So on offense with around Mayfield, they've created and look at the running back group. Now you've got three potentially viable candidates at running back with Chubb, Hyde, and Duke Johnson. So you have all these weapons for him. It's going to elevate his play. And then on the other side of the ball, you want to create a defense that is going to decrease the efficiency of the other team's quarterback, which is going to sort of, if you're looking at the game as, you know, the main thing people talk about in football is it all comes down to the quarterback. If, if, if we're working off that premise, then build a defense, when you have that money to, build a defense that's now going to decrease the performance of the other team's quarterback while your rookie contract quarterback doesn't have to carry you. He doesn't have to throw for you know 350 yards because he's going to have a running game. He's going to have a defense that's going to make sure the other quarterback is isn't isn't performing up to the standards that that he you know even if he's a top quarterback that isn't performing to the standards that you you kind of expect from him. Um, and and uh, it maybe forces a turnover or two because pressure begets turnovers. It creates turnovers. You look at the. Uh, the Eagles game and the NFC Championship game, and it, the game's a completely different game. If Chris Long, uh, you know, the, the Vikings are up seven nothing, they're driving again. Chris Long creates pressure. Patrick Robinson intercepts off that pressure, runs it back seven seven. Uh, it's fourteen seven Eagles, and and the Vikings are moving downfield. Derek Barnett forces a sack fumble. Eagles moved down, and that that was about with uh, about two two thirty left in the, in the second quarter, and then the Eagles went on a run, and by the time the Vikings could catch their breath, but by the time I mean they had about three or three to six snaps on offense, and, and over the next four drives, uh, and in between those drives, the Vikings had one or two drives. I think it was only one 
because it, halftime came and then the Eagles got the ball back. By the time the Vikings looked up, it was like 31-7. Yeah. And the game was over. So it's it's the pressure that they were able to create really um, just that, that whole sort of game within the game is, is a real main focus that now the Browns are going to be able to to build their roster out and do really do whatever they want. And, and potentially there's going to be some guys in, that are going to be uh, pass rushers that are going to be free agents in 2019 that, that really might be worth looking into with all that cap space. The, the one thing that I've been thinking about, and I think this is important for Browns fans to keep in mind, is that I do feel like when you look at their roster now, one thing they were they were short on, especially the past couple of years, was depth, where they had some rough injuries on defense last year with Ogba and Garrett for a time and Jamie Collins, and they just didn't have the depth to make up for that. You can see the better depth at linebacker now. You can see the better depth at defensive end. They're still a little short at tackle, as you mentioned. They have more depth in the secondary with the guys they brought in. Um I think the, the the one thing that is standing out in this camp so far for the Browns is left tackle. That that the first option at left tackle, Sean Coleman, didn't work. They figured that out very quickly. They moved uh, a, a Pro Bowl caliber left guard in Joel Batonio to left tackle and are putting in a rookie at left guard in Austin Corbett. Now you can argue, could they have drafted a, a, a tackle in round two instead of Corbett? kept Petonio at guard, had that guy be the tackle, I think maybe that would have worked better. But my point is this. My expectation, I've been telling people, people are very excited about the Browns. This is not a playoff roster yet, right now. This is not, you know, I know people are throwing out, could there be a dark horse wild card thing? That's been floated out there. I don't want Browns fans to get too excited about this year. This is should be a competitive year but this is not a hundred percent finalized roster and this is a long-winded point to get to this i think maybe their left tackle answer is on another team right now and they're going to get him next year and maybe that's a spot and i don't know who's going to be a free agent or who might be a guy that would be available in a trade or something like that but you don't they didn't have to solve everything this offseason they drafted the quarterback, they drafted the corner, they added pieces in the secondary, they added Hyde, they added Landry, they added Taylor. They didn't have to add everything. But but my point, Zach, when you have this cap space, that's a big-time premium position, one of the five you mentioned. That's somewhere, yes, you're mentioning maybe they could spend some cap space on a defensive tackle. To me, that's a spot that might be solved for 2019 in the offseason with a boatload of cap space signing a very, very good left tackle. Is that possible in your mind? That is possible, but I, I had the same idea. And um, I, ju- I, I looked at the, the, the free agency group, and it's, it's a kind of a bear group. Um, really? Okay. Rob Havenstein, a right, who's, who's, who's listed as a right tackle, is the best. Because I'm looking at the list again right now. I mean, I think that he's probably the best tackle out there. Um. And then, and then the other thing is, too, the guys that you would be looking at, um, Taylor Luan or Jake Matthews, were just re-signed. Right. So, and, and that's one thing about for agents everywhere right now is, is what do the Browns need and what might they be willing to pay? It might be a good thing to ask yourself because Taylor Luan maybe could have gotten another $2 million out of the Browns per year. Because just because of how much cap space they have to spend, but they, you know, also he got a plenty good deal. I think his deal was at sixteen million dollars a year, so I don't think there's any complaints there on an extension. But um, 
that just the tackle position looks a little a little bare next year. So that's probably somewhere that you're going to want to go uh, to the draft for. Okay. And, and and that's that's plenty fine because now that's that's just that's that's the final position in this piece. It feels like. Um, and, and left tackle is a position that you almost need to draft in the first round from the things I've seen, the first or second round, because that's where most of the best left tackles are, uh, at least from, I haven't done a deep study on it, but from the general, um, the work I've done and the research I've done and, and just seeing as many rosters as I've seen and seeing how they've, they've built their, built up, um, it seems that that's the move you want to make that first or second round. And it's unfortunate that Joe Thomas because now they're about the Browns are about to be good, and it's just unfortunate that Thomas's career didn't line up with this time period. Yeah, and, and, you know, maybe he was like two years younger, uh, and and then he still got one of the best left tackles in the league. But um, but yeah, it, it it that's that's probably a positional draft. Okay, and that makes sense. And again, like you know, even if they're seven and nine, which I think is is top it's, end hopeful, that's still you're yeah. still going to pick. 16th in the draft or something you can get a good left tackle there and that could exactly. be something to target yes yeah and and i mean and the other thing too is just 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 speaking from speaking on what you're saying and because uh, I, I i'm not a browns fan but i i'm 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 becoming a browns just a i love what they've done and i'm very excited for the season so a seven and nine season might be it's going to be an exciting year uh whatever happened what, what what's about to happen this year i think it's really going to be an exciting step forward and then we'll we'll you know we'll keep seeing the steps forward that are coming. So Zach, one thing I want to ask about again, I, I think people need to keep this in mind. You're you're a guy who studies the entire NFL, and you're just saying you look at all the teams. You think the Browns are are in a good spot. Can you do you feel like when you look at roster management and roster building, most of the time, can you see a team coming? Can you see when a team is positioning itself? with young players and cap space, and you think, hey, I, I think this team is on the rise? And have there been teams, does it sometimes happen where a team is positioned and they do the things to, to give themselves an opportunity, and then it's just like it never works? They miss on this, they miss on that. Like, if, if people are feeling good as Browns fans about what you're saying, I'm wondering how maybe they should temper it because, again, there's no guarantees in this. But yet, it seems like they're positioned in a good way. Yeah, I, I, I've gained the uh, like uh, through the through the study. I've, I've kind of gained the ability to, to sort of look at the roster and look at the situation and look at the kind of value that they're getting at certain positions and say to myself, like, uh, like the Eagles. Um, I, I, I last year I, I thought all off season they were going to be a contender. During the season, I, I thought all season they'd be a Super Bowl in the Super Bowl um, the I didn't see the jump with the Rams because I didn't see that jump of Jared Goff being so much better okay uh, I, I saw the jump for Wentz because he was such a good system fit for what they asked him to do in the Andy Reid Doug Peterson system you look at the Kansas City Chiefs the Chiefs are an example of a team that that, that should be a, a big contender this season because of Pat Mahomes in that same offensive system with a, a similar skill set and with the, the great arm he has, with the mobility, with accuracy. Um, so, so you can kind of, once you start to understand these things, you can kind of start to see what's coming um, toward, towards the future, uh, what's coming in the future. And, and um, in terms of teams that haven't had success, that I thought would have success, um, 
over the last few years, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, I mean, if, if if there's not one, that's fine. I just, you know, it's one of those, um, I mean, a young quarterback. I, just the thing that's so interesting to me is like the idea of capitalizing on a young quarterback. Um, but it does seem like, you know, there does it does seem like there are multiple uh, teams positioned in this league um, to try to do something. Maybe maybe the Bucks were a team, or the Bucks. Like I felt like the yes. Bucks were yes. maybe okay. going to do something, and then if Jameis isn't quite what you thought, maybe they're not going to get where people thought they might get. And that seems a bit weak. Has been a bit weak around them, but now they they've they've made an adjustment. They've and, and part of that was their defensive line. I think they were last in the league in sacks last year, so they completely revamped their defensive line, and now they're in a position where. Uh, but he, the, the issue for them now is that it's at the end of Jameis's. You know, they, they they made the moves that we're talking about a little too late. Yeah. Um, so it, it's now they're gonna it's gonna be expensive on the defensive line, and Jameis Winston's about to be expensive as well. So um, the Bucks are a really good uh, good example of that of a team who just did not take advantage of this of this window they have, and and that's what's going to be so powerful about Mayfield is that this year you got a big cap hit with Taylor, and that's fine. The Eagles have done the same thing. Uh, part it's part of this three quarterback strategy, and which is what I've like. I like what teams have done over the last few years. And following the Eagles' lead is that you have the veteran starter and Tyrod Taylor. You have the veteran backup and, and the guy who's going to be the mentor in, um, in Stanton, which is similar to the Chase Daniel or then the Nick Foles situation. And then you have the, 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 low call, the rookie contract quarterback. Right. Um, and, and the only thing that would make the situation better for the Browns would be if Tyrod Taylor had one more year on his contract and, and he was a, a trade chip. And he still could be a trade chip before the deadline um, because – it, this that's what they actually just did with Foles, and the Eagles have been um, at the forefront of sort of uh, understanding value and using it as uh, using it to, to maximize the value across the roster by saying, ah, we don't need this guy, we'll go get a first-round pick over here, a second-round pick, whatever. Uh, the Sam Bradford contract, from the day they signed it, that two-year deal, I knew they were looking to trade him. They were going to have one year with him. He didn't, he didn't fit the system that Peterson was going to run. Um, I thought they'd have one year with him, and then he had a high cap hit the next year, but a very tradable cap hit that uh, that he was at 14% of the cap on the contract, but if they traded him, he was at 10% of the cap for whoever they traded him to, which makes him a much easier uh, cap hit to deal with, which is why the Vikings were, were you know a willing trade partner. Um, so with Foles, they actually tacked on another year to his deal, and then the Redskins actually just did the same thing with Colt McCoy. So if you have one of these good backup quarterbacks, you kind of want to you want to you want to give yourself an opportunity to maybe trade these guys. You, you, you give them a little bit of a pay raise in the current year. Um, you give them exact you know around what their market rate should be for the next year, or just you know lock them into something. And you know they're willing to do it because you Nick Foles has like a cap hit of like twenty million next year. Um, and I, I think he I'm not sure what his signing bonus was, but they gave him a bump this year so they could have him under contract. And you know, potentially trade him for a first or second round pick, depending on you know who's out there and what they're thinking of him. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I know that was such a big deal. The 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 Eagles gave up a lot to get Wentz. They gave up a future first to the Browns, and then they got it. They got it right back by trading Bradford. They get a first round back from yeah. Minnesota. So it's and then they they used that on Derek Barnett, who then did made that play against Minnesota. Yep. So it always it all kind of came together for them where it's. Uh, and, un- and, and an unfortunate sort of sense of irony for, for the Vikings. And, and it's funny. It's like I don't know that people have really uh, 
thought that much with Tyrod Taylor because he seems like such an important part of what they're trying to turn around here, and he's he's immediately became such a leader here. And you know, Hugh Jackson and John Dorsey have been so adamant that he's the starter. Um, you know what? Maybe there's a world out there where if Tyrod Taylor, you know, starts off pretty good and is looking pretty good, and and we know there are always quarterback injuries in this league. They gave up a third for Tyrod Taylor. If he has a good year and they're getting to the deadline and somebody needs a quarterback, all of a sudden that's a very interesting option. And it's not just that you're, you know, benching Tyrod Taylor for for Baker Mayfield, it's that you're getting something out of it too. That's something to lock away, Browns fans, in the back of your mind. I'm not suggesting the Browns should trade Tyrod Taylor. I'm just saying lock that away to watch this season unfold. Um, Zach, last thing for you. You, it, it's clear you think the Browns are in a good spot. As you look forward, as you look to next offseason, and we will anticipate that the Browns have an encouraging, competitive season this year, whatever that means. But as you look to next offseason, with the makeup of their roster right now and the cap space they have, what are the one, two, three moves, the, the possible positions... What do you think the Browns need to do in the next wave to get over the top from an, an entertaining, encouraging, competitive year to what I feel like in this process should absolutely be a playoff-caliber team in 2019 if this thing's working the way it should be? What is the smartest thing for them to do with the cap space they have next offseason? Uh, I think I think we've kind of touched on t- touched on it already. Defensive uh, line, uh, a push there you think would be good value to to accent what they have with with Garrett and Ogba, um, yes. and you think there's going to be some guys available there that would be the best idea. Yeah, you look at defensive tackle. I'm looking at the list right now: Geno Atkins, Sheldon Richardson, mm. um, David Irving. Okay. Uh, there's a pretty good free agent class there. Malcolm Brown from the Patriots will be available. Okay. Uh, Grady Jarrett could be available. So okay. there's there's a spot there. Um, and then we're looking at defensive end. The defensive end class. If you want, if, if say even even if Ogba continues to develop and, and becomes a really good player for y'all, uh, even if Carl Nassib continues to develop, becomes a great player. Ezekiel Ansah might be available. Demarcus Lawrence, Brandon Graham. Uh, Michael Johnson from the Bengals, Khalil Mack could be so. There's there's all yep. these moves, and then we also talked about drafting the left tackle. Okay, um, and then and then you look at your free agent class too. Um, these are guys you're going to want to resign: EJ Gaines, Michael Kendrick, Josh Gordon, and Body Calhoun. So th- there's this is what they've been building towards. This is why they were so bad the last couple of years. Was that we're not we're not going to worry about right now. And and it, it's kind of a it's kind of a broader philosophical point for life. Like if you're in, if you're in Cleveland, you've been bad forever, and you've been kept trying to be good, and, and all you've really attained is and you've tried to be good in the short term, and you've kept making moves along the lines that, like we talked about with Wentz, is that I know that there's a lot of Browns fans out there that are still kicking, you know, don't like that Shashi Brown passed on not only Wentz but also Deshaun Watson but even with drafting a quarterback in the top 10 picks Jason Fitzgerald from over the cap did a study that even top 10 picks only have like a 35% rating of he just did a good passable and miss 
rating system for every draft pick at quarterback from 2002 to like 2014. Yeah. And only 35% of the top 10 picks graded out as good, like good quarterbacks, guys yeah. who were, so it's not a high percentage thing. So in doing that, they've traded, they traded and they built out the whole roster. And, and as we were saying before we got, got on the podcast was in, in doing this, like the Browns all these years have gone through all these quarterbacks because the team just wasn't the, the, the no matter who they put in that situation, if Carson Wentz was in Cleveland the last two years, he wouldn't be the Carson Wentz that we think of him as now. So they built up the roster, and now they put themselves in this flexible position where they're able to do whatever they need to do to, to move forward and to really put together a championship-level roster. I, I want to I make a point quick, but one quick question. It's just hard to know what's going to happen with Josh Gordon. If, if he's back and 100%... It seems like they're okay at receiver. Um, is there? Is there? Are there receivers they could target though? Potentially next off season that they should keep in mind. Uh, let's see. I think the wider. I mean, there's always there's always guys out there at receiver. Um, it, it's a it's a bit of an old group at the top here. Larry Fitzgerald, Randall Cobb, uh, Golden Tate, uh, Dante Moncrief. I don't I don't think he'll develop into being someone that you'd really want to target. Um, John Brown, there's a lot of good talk about him at Baltimore. Uh, Chris Hogan from the Patriots. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, who else is – I mean, if Beckham were to hit free agency, there's a guy. Yeah, people uh, have been – people, Browns people, I think, have that in the back of their mind too because of his relationship with Jarvis Landry, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, they, they've got a ton of cap space to, do, to make some kind of move. There. And that, like I was saying about uh, agents thinking about what the Browns might might need out there. Uh, Beckham might be able to get a $22 million a year contract for the Browns, and it really wouldn't put too much of a dent in what y'all are doing. And, and, and the cap space, and here's an important note about the cap space before the new CBA, is that it's not going to, I don't think the cap space carries over into the new CBA. So it's like you have to, and the Browns have to hit that 89% rule, which is where you have to spend 89% of your salary cap. Um, on your roster you can't so you can't just be saving money forever and not spending it so the browns have incentive to spend money and um they have all this space which like the jimmy garoppolo deal they can front load a contract for Beckham that no one else can match um all right so, keep it in the back of your mind again browns yeah. fans back of your mind i mean that's that's the thing that you're positioned for that i think browns fans need to understand young quarterback Pieces around it, young defense, but but that this is not your playoff roster yet. There are guys. There's a maybe maybe a one gigantic splashy move where you absolutely are adding one of the best players in the NFL. But there's still opportunity to add a really good player here or there at important spots, and then you'll really have the team. I think in 2019, yeah. that team should absolutely compete to win. The AFC North, and and I think yes. I think it absolutely can. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and what I was saying too is about the the, the uh, like the sort of philosophical point is that the Browns have been bad for so long, so take your time, and that's what they've done is they they've been smart about it. They there's no point in rushing into this. They've they've been trying to do things the same way forever, and now they've taken a few years, and, and like you said, this year's not the year, but they've made really substantial steps forward. And they ha- they have some guys, some free agents they've signed, like one-year guys like Gaines and Kendricks, that they can re-sign and keep on the roster. And they're making these, these small steps that are now 
then maybe they make one big step with a with Beckham or a Mac or something like that oh. next year. But it's it's an encouraging encouraging strategy they've used. Listen and listen, people. I did not know that Zach was going to say all this stuff. He's just a salary cap <laughs> expert. It's like he's regurgitating the stuff that I've been saying for a year. That five and eleven for a decade gets you nowhere. If you're going to yes. stink, stink with a plan. Stink yes. with a plan to prioritize the future and set yourself up. And it's not about who did it and who didn't do it. It's about where your Cleveland Browns, not the people in charge. The team, the, the the orange and brown that you live and die with, that team is in position to do something. You can see it with the players on the field. You can see the rise in talent. And Zach just explained to you why with the roster construction, there's even more out there to come. Zach, where can people read you now? Beyond your book, where else can they catch you? Uh, you can catch me at overthecap.com, and then I'm, I'm going to restart my podcast up in the next few weeks. It's called The Zach Moore Show. There's there's two old episodes on it on iTunes uh, that you can check out, but I'm going to try and get into kind of some of the stuff we've been talking about here, which is uh, just what, 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 what a team's overlook for the next few years is, what, what, what they're looking like for 2018 and stuff like that, and then and then what, what, what are the kind of moves they can make moving forward to, to, to put together a, you know, how do they get from where they are to being a Super Bowl team. Um, and then also you can check me on Twitter at Zach Moore NFL and that's Zach with a K. And uh, of course on Amazon, uh, Caponomics, Building Super Bowl Champions. Zach Moore, great stuff. Thanks for your time. Uh, and and as me. they continue to build this roster in Cleveland, we'll check back with you down the line and see if they've made the progress they should have made. So Zach, thanks so much for your time. Hey, thanks again. And that's it for another Takes by the Lake. I'm your host again, Doug Maurice. Thanks to you guys for listening. Get subscribed to Takes by the Lake. It's the easiest way to make sure you don't miss a week. Uh, more stuff ahead. More good stuff ahead. We're going to keep talking about the Browns as we build up to this season. We're going to check in on the Indians uh, as we uh, get into this uh, final push towards the playoffs for them. And um, whatever you guys, whatever you guys think is interesting in Cleveland sports, we'll try to hit it. So, um, thanks to Zach Moore. Thanks to you guys for listening. I'm Doug Maurice. That was Takes by the Lake, and we'll talk to you next time.